Good morning. What a great morning we've had so far together. Congratulations to the six people who got baptized this morning. It was a real joy to, yeah, real joy to celebrate with you and, uh, and to hear your stories. And uh, we'd love to spend some time praying for you. So as we close later and people go and get their children and uh, get tea and coffee, uh, we'd love to pray for the six of you uh, down at the front here. Friends and family, just gather around uh, to pray God's blessing over you. Uh, what a joy. Well, God is up to great things. He's up to great things in our church. He's up to great things in this town. He really is. And uh, I want to encourage us. Let's continue to pray, Lord, more. Lord, we want to see more people encountering you. We want to see more people bringing their stories of how uh, he's turned lives around. We want to see that, don't we? And so let's pray for that. Let's continue to pray for our church and the, the, the needs that we have as a growing church. I just want to, before we unpack God's Word today, just to uh, highlight to you uh, these annual giving reviews that uh, perhaps you picked up last week. Um, someone um, very diligent, a very diligent friend in the church here, pointed out that on page four there is a mistake and that there is the expenditure and the income uh, figures on the wrong way around. Uh, so they have been rectified this week. So if you receive a copy this week, you're getting the right version. Uh, but I just wanted you to be aware of that. Um, but please, if you're regularly amongst us, if you are part of this church, we'd love you to take a hold of these. We've produced this so that you can just see how we've given, how we've invested uh, all that has been given last year. And uh, you can be praying for the needs of the church in an informed way. And uh, I want to encourage you, please take one, read it, pray through it. And uh, let's gear up for the 22nd of May when we're going to give in a big way uh, together. And we're going to be writing to uh, the members of the church this week just to explain how we're planning to, um, uh, to distribute the funds that are given effectively uh, in uh, May. Wonderful. Okay, we're going to be uh, continuing, as Hannah said, our series in the Bible book of Ephesians today. We're going to be in chapter 4, uh, so if you have a Bible there, you might have to turn there. But before we uh, tuck into today's uh, passage from the Bible, I want to tell you a story. It's a story that uh, takes place about 14 or 15 years ago, where my wife Sarah and I looked like this, as you can see on the screen here. Uh, look at us, beautiful. As you can see, Sarah hasn't changed much in about 15 years. Uh, I've, had, I've got the ability to grow facial hair now, which is good, which I didn't have then. And there's now more of me to love. Let's be honest. There's more of me to love now. Uh, we were engaged to be married. We were at university down in Southampton, engaged to be married. And uh, Sarah lived with six ladies, uh, none of whom uh, knew Jesus. And uh, I lived with three guys, all of whom were Christians. And you couldn't really find two more contrasting houses, to be honest, in, in all kinds of ways. And... Uh, Sarah and I got engaged, and we started to undertake marriage preparation sessions with one of the pastors at the church uh, we belong to and his wife, and uh, they were really excellent sessions. We recommend that anyone looking to get married undergoes some marriage preparation sessions, and uh, this was really a big talking point in Sarah's household. It was a, like every time Sarah uh, got back from one of these sessions, her housemates would crowd around and want to know what on earth was covered in that night's marriage preparation session, because these were very alien things to them. They had never really understood or never really encountered anyone going through marriage preparation before, and so it was kind of like the talk of the house. What are they going to cover tonight? And one night, uh, we covered sex in our uh, marriage preparation session. And uh, so Sarah's housemates gathered around her that evening. What did you cover in tonight's session? And Sarah shared, well, we covered the matter of sex. 
Now, they knew that we, Sarah and I didn't sleep together, uh, that we didn't live together, obviously, and we were holding off from uh, sleeping together until we were married. And Sarah had the opportunity to explain, well, Christians, we believe that God has given sex as a beautiful gift, and it's for the context of marriage between the man and the woman, and it's something that's to be enjoyed. It's not a dirty thing. It's to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. And one of Sarah's housemates uh, exclaimed something that, to me, is one of the best quotes ever. She said, blimey, Sarah, I pray to God that my kids never turn out religious. <laughs> and I just thought that was a great, great quote. It was, it was so apparent at that stage in our lives that we were living a very contrasting life uh, to the lives of those friends of ours who don't know Jesus. And that really is to be the case. And as we unpack the, the, the chapter 4 of Ephesians uh, this week and the week after Easter as well, we'll see that Christians should live lives that are contrasted to the world around. And there should be times when people look on astounded as to, why do they live that way? And I'm really pleased to say Sarah's uh, friends came to our wedding, they got it, they understood why, and they, they, they saw something that they'd maybe not seen before. One of Sarah's uh, housemates has become a Christian, as has her husband, which is wonderful. But there was something of a real contrast here. And so today's message is, is called The Life of Contrast, Part 1, because we're going to uh, unpack in another uh, session in two weeks' time a little bit more of this. Tim, as we uh, unpacked Chapter 4 uh, a little bit last week, Tim showed us that Paul, this apostle, this church leader, writing to this church in uh, Ephesus, uh, in modern-day Turkey that he had helped to start, and he proclaimed Jesus to people. They became Christians. They formed a community which formed a church. Tim showed us that Paul is writing to say, hey, you are to live a new life now. You were once totally darkened in your thinking. You, you, you couldn't see the truth, and your, heart, your hearts were hard. But now you've come to know the truth. And now your life is traveling in a completely different direction. This is what Paul has shared with them. And he said, put on your new set of clothes. Those who've been baptized today, you've, you've put on some dry clothes having been baptized. Well, Christians, we have a, a new set of clothes that we're to put on and to intentionally, daily, uh, put off some things that we once walked in, put off some ways that we once walked in and things that we once thought, and now put on intentionally some new ways. And so we're picking up really from where Tim left off. There's some things now that we say, that's not who I am anymore. I don't think like that anymore. I don't, I don't go there anymore. I don't do that anymore. Because Christianity is it's not just kind of belief in a, a set of statements. It's not adherence to a, some facts. It's, it's trusting completely in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's trusting in Him and following Him with our whole hearts. So we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 25 onwards. And we're calling this, as I say, the life of contrast, part 1. So here we go, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The life of contrast. Friends, the, the Christian life is to be a life of contrast. This is a life that is not ours anymore. This same guy, the Apostle Paul, says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is one where we say, I'm no longer my own. I belong to someone else, and I'm living a life for him. It's not mine anymore. This body is not mine anymore. I offer it to him as a living sacrifice in response to all that he's done. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Having just unpacked for the church in Rome the amazing mercy of God, all that God has done for them in sending Jesus to be a sacrifice for their sins, to rise again that they might be forgiven and freed and adopted into the family of God, he then says, Therefore, brothers... I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So a fitting response to all that Jesus has done, a fitting response to this amazing mercy that he's poured out on our lives is to say, all of this is yours, Lord. All of this belongs to you. I'm giving it all as a living sacrifice. I want to, I want to say, it's all yours, Lord. That's what Christianity is. It's a saying, it is all yours, Lord. It's not one in which we live a perfect life because no one other than Jesus has ever done that. But it's a life in which we say, I, don't long, I no longer live for myself. I may stumble at times, but I'm no longer going to offer the members of my body, as what Paul will say in Romans 6, are called instruments for unrighteousness. I'm now going to offer my eyes, my mouth, my hands, my sexual organs, everything that I have, my feet, my, my brain, I'm going to offer this as what the Bible calls instruments for righteousness. And in this passage that we've just read from Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about what we do with our mouth, what we do with our hands. As we go into chapter 5 in the weeks to come, we're going to see he talks about what we're to do with our bodies in the way of sexual uh, immorality, how we're to offer our bodies to him in purity. And this includes all of our lives. We say, it's all yours, Lord. This is the fitting response. And we're to say, Lord, I want my mind to be transformed. 
I want my mind to be renewed. We see that in verse 23 of chapter 4 as well. It talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because as we heard from Tim last week, we, before we come to know Jesus, our, our minds are just kind of going the way of the world. And the ways of the world are futile. They are futile. They're fruitless. They don't lead to satisfaction. You don't need me to kind of spell that out for you, really. As you look at the news, you see the ways of the world are futile. If you go out onto the streets on a Friday or Saturday night, you see young people vomiting in the streets, chasing after a good time, drinking too much, maybe trying to forget some of the cares of this life. It's futile. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill you. You might see it in the workplaces as people work themselves into the ground to try and get a better and better uh, home or better and better experience in life, trying to impress people that maybe they don't even like anyway. It's futile. People driving themselves, making them sick, trying to earn more money. It's futile. In family life where there's just dispute after dispute, unforgiveness, unable to let go of, of bitterness, unable to let go of things that have been said or done. I know that very well. My wider family, there's no one that's a Christian. And there's just, there, are, there are people that don't talk to each other and haven't done for years. Because they just kind of won't let go of things that have been said or done. The, the ways of the world are futile. They don't lead to uh, fruitfulness and satisfaction. And so we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We need to have our minds transformed. If we need convincing of this, I need you to, to understand that you are being schooled every single day in the ways of the world, in the things that we consume, in the things that we watch, in the things that we take in. In so many ways, we are being schooled in the ways of the world. And so we need to intentionally allow our minds to be transformed by the Bible, the Word of God, so that we're transformed. Because transform at, the, at the root of transformation is mind change. The way that we, we live begins with the way that we think. Do you know that? Maybe you, you haven't really thought that through before. But the way that you live begins with the way that you think. And we need to be those that have our minds changed on some things. Because daily, weekly, we're being schooled in another way. We're being schooled in the ways of futility. Things that really aren't fruitful. Things that don't lead to fullness of life. And it's when we have our minds changed on some things, then we will offer our bodies. So Paul here, in Ephesians chapter 4, he touches on some things that are very practical. He touches upon lying, anger, theft, corrupting talk, and what I'm calling the spiritual diseases of the heart. So there's many more areas that he could cover here where Christians are to be uh, contrasted to the ways of this world. But these may be some things that were going on in the church in Ephesus that he particularly wanted to speak into. Now we're going to cover probably about two of these today, maybe two and a half. Let's see how we go. And we're going to see how renewed thinking will lead to change in our lives. How our, when our minds are transformed on these things, then they will lead to change. But I want to just note two things before we cover a couple of these things. I want to note two things. Firstly, note how these all concern the way in which we live in community, the way in which we live with each other. This shows me that as we have our minds transformed, there will be a positive impact on others in our community. But the, the opposite is true as well. If we don't have our minds transformed on some things, then we will negatively impact those in our community. We will actually pull others into uh, difficulty and into mess if we're not continually knowing our minds being transformed. 
Obedience to God's ways will impact our community positively. Second thing I want us to notice is Paul doesn't appeal to the Old Testament law as he's writing to the Ephesians here. So he's talking about things like lying and theft and anger, and he doesn't say, hey, don't, don't steal, because it says in the Ten Commandments, don't steal. He doesn't say, don't lie, because it says in the Ten Commandments, don't lie. He doesn't do that. He doesn't appeal to the Old Testament at all in this, because he wants to show that there is now a much deeper motivation at play here than adherence to a set of laws. We love laws, right, as, as human beings. We love lists of things that we should and shouldn't do. Right? We love to know, how many calories am I allowed each day? Uh, okay, 3,000. I'm going to try and stick to that. How many steps should I try and do each day? Right, 10,000. I'm going to try and do that. How many fruit and veg am I supposed to have a day? Right, five. Okay, and I, think I, can, I, think, I think orange juice counts as two. Right, I'm going to do that. We, we love lists. We love to know what, you know, we had to be told what two meters was with little dots on the floor so that we kept our distance. We, we, love, to be we love to be told what we should and shouldn't do. We love lists. Okay, if I'm, if I'm adhering to these things, then I'm doing something right. Here's five ways in which you can have a better sleep. Or here's ten ways that you can protect the environment. Okay, if I do these ten things, I feel like I'm doing well. I can measure myself up against some things. Well, this isn't to be the motivation of Christians here. The, the, the way in which we're to go about being changed, there's a much deeper motivation at play here. Because Paul appeals to the truth of what Jesus has done and who we now are. When he's appealing to them to put away some things and to put on some things, he's appealing to what Jesus has done for them and to who we now are as Christians, which is probably two-thirds of people here. We're, he's appealing to something much deeper than just a set of lists. So he, he addresses lying and falsehood. We're to be those who put away falsehood and who embrace uh, the truth, who speak the truth to our neighbor because... We are members of one another. So who's our neighbor? When the Bible talks about our neighbor, it talks about those that we're in pro close proximity to. It might be our literal neighbors. It might be those that we work with. It might be those that we encounter uh, in our sports teams or at the school gate or wherever it might be. Uh, I think that's what the Bible is referring to when it talks about our neighbors. But I think this passage here is actually getting at those within the church because Paul says, because we are members of one another. So primarily here, he's saying, be truthful to each other because we're members of one another. This picture of the church as the body of Christ, Paul hammers it home again and again in the book of Ephesians. He does it elsewhere in Romans and uh, 1 Corinthians, loads of places. He talks about the church being a body and the implications being that if one part hurts, the other part hurts. You don't just say, oh, it's only my tooth that's in pain. The rest of me is okay. I get on with it. No, no, there's something here that something affected. If, if, if we know pain in one area, the whole body feels it. And so he's saying, hey, speak the truth to each other because you're members of one another. Let's be those that love integrity. Let's be those that don't try and put a spin on things or to exaggerate things in order to try and make ourselves look better. Let's not be those that try and just paint ourselves in the best possible light and try and get people to think more highly of us. Let's tell the truth. Let's tell the truth to each other. Let's be those that are known as people of integrity. Let's be those people that don't have to say, I swear I'm telling the truth, because people just understand our word is what it is. And so we don't even need to say that, because they just know, I'm telling the truth. We're to be those that love integrity. And the way the church grows up 
is when members speak the truth in love to one another. We see that in verse 15. So if my eye was to say to my hand, hey, the iron's not hot, and my hand goes and touches it, and it's hot, then the whole body feels the pain. So we must be those that embrace the truth and who speak the truth to one another. It's a lot different, friends, to a you do you and I'll do me mentality. It's a lot different to that. Because that's something that's quite rife in our culture. Well, I'll do me, you do you, and I'll kind of let you be. Well, in the church, we're not to have that, well, you do you and I'll do me mentality, because we're members of one another. And therefore, if someone's kind of getting stuck in some stuff that's false, we actually all feel it in some way. And we're to know that kind of one anothering where we speak the truth in love. I want to just ask it, how are we doing in this? How are we doing in this, friends? Are there some ways in which maybe we're putting a spin on things in our life to try and impress others, try and hide the truth? Listen, that's not the way to peace. You might think, well, if I I just paint the best possible picture of myself, then I'll know peace. Whereas actually it leads to no peace at all because you'll be thinking, when am I going to get found out? Sometimes someone's going to find me out. How are we doing when it comes to speaking the truth in love to others when we see them getting stuck in some mess in some way? How are we doing it when it comes to appealing to them, hey, God's got better for you? I've shared this story before, but many of you wouldn't have heard it. Go back to Fresh Face, Tom and Sarah. Before we were engaged to be married, before we were even together, I was living in a way that wasn't honoring God. In our first year of university, I was, I was flirting with women I was on a bit of a, I guess, pride in a, big, in a big way. I was enjoying the attention of women and leading them to think that I was more interested than I was. And I hurt some people in the process. And Sarah, who we were just friends, happened to do the same course, she lovingly came up to me and said, hey, can we go for a walk? There's some things I need to say. And as we walked, she said, Tom, I don't think you're honoring God in this area of your life. And it's not pointing people to Jesus in a good way. And she lovingly brought the truth to me. And I went back to my room and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. Not because Sarah had said anything harsh. It's because God was using her to tell me the truth. And I just knew I've got to turn around from this. I've got to lay down this. I'm just, this pride in my life is causing me to be very, very ugly. And it's not bringing glory to Jesus. She spoke the truth in love to me. And I grew as a result. And it happened that about a year later we got together. Bonus. (laughs) Listen, friends, we need to be those that speak the truth in love to each other, not just say, hey, I'm just going to leave them be. I'm seeing them getting in a right old mess here, but I'm just going to leave them be. Out of love, from a place of, yeah, first dealing with, you know, Jesus says, doesn't he, deal with the big plank in your eye before you remove the speck of dust from your brother's eye. Yeah, we deal with the things in our own hearts first. We humbly and in love say, hey, I just need to, to, to talk to you about this. You need to know the way you're living right now is it's not honoring to God. He's got better for you. So we need to speak the truth in love to each other, not live in falsehood. Let's put away falsehood because we're members of one another. Secondly, anger. We've seen in the last couple of weeks an almighty response to Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. I don't know about you, but I didn't even know the Oscars was happening until I saw the news the next day. I don't think many people knew that the Oscars was happening until they saw the news the next day. We've seen how ugly 
anger can get. We've seen how it can really bring a lot of pain when we are overcome with anger. We've seen it, it can bring massive pain to people. Physical pain, yes, but all kinds of emotional brokenness can come when anger spills over. Maybe you've even known that this week. Maybe you've known this week kind of your, that rush of blood to the head, they call it, when you just know, oh, I just can't even control myself because I'm so angry at what they've done. I'm so angry that they could betray me in that way. I'm so angry that they would speak to me in that way. I don't know if you've known that this week. Maybe you know that on a regular basis. Maybe you know a boiling over of frustration which with little things that just kind of get to you eventually. Well, there's some real insightful things for us here. But I want to tell, us, tell you that the waters we're swimming in culturally are kind of waters that are full of anger and outrage. There are some people who just are keyboard warriors and who just love to be angry all the time. Maybe some of you, maybe that's you. I just want to just, I'm angry. I don't know why, I'm just angry all of the time. People are outraged. You can just Google the word outrage and you'll see all kinds of different groups are outraged about something. And it's not just the far left or the far right outraged by some things. Even the knitters are outraged by some things. Okay? This tells us here, this was a few years ago now, the knitters wanted to have a knitting Olympics and the Olympic committee said, no, no, you can't call it the knitting Olympics. So we see here that that there's a mob of angry knitters taking the gold in battle with the U.S. Olympic Committee. There's outrage amongst the knitting community at a decision from the Olympic Committee. There's outrage. There's, we're, we're swimming in these waters where people are angry about stuff. And we need to be those that are contrasted, friends. We need to be those that look different. Now, what does the Bible say here? Well, it suggests that it's possible to know a Christian kind of anger. Because it says, be angry and do not sin. So there is a type of anger that's okay. There's a type of anger that even Jesus experienced when he saw that the temple was being used by those that wanted to um, sell stuff and kind of make money. He got angry. He, he took his time to form a whip and he went into the temple and drove them out. There's, there's, a, there's a Christian kind of anger. If, we, if we're not... Uh, stirred up by injustice, then injustice will prevail. It's, it's kind of like a, a righteous anger, a, a response to injustice that leads us to, to be grieved and to lead us, it leads us to pray, it leads us to take action. That's a good kind of anger. And I'm sure that some of you are uh, angered by some things that you see in the world and you're grieved and you want to you take action to bring about God's justice for people, that people will know good uh, justice in their lives. That's a good anger. But there's an anger that is kind of defensive, self-defensive, that's ego-driven, and that is eagerly, it can, it can easily go out of control. It can easily spill over into rage and aggression in some ways. It's the kind of anger that's stirred up by our pride, that says, how dare they speak to me like that? Don't they know how important I am? How dare they do that? Do they not know? I'm a big deal. They shouldn't speak to me like that. Or that is kind of proud in another way, that kind of thinks, I would never behave like that. How, how could they do that? I would never do such a thing. 
And we kind of stirred up with anger within because we think, I would never behave like that, and they're behaving in a terrible way, and our pride gets hurt. And that's the kind of anger that kind of bubbles up and causes us to lash out, causes us to, to bring hurt, actually. And Paul's words here are very, very wise. They're very insightful. He doesn't give an excuse to have a fit of rage or seek revenge. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That doesn't mean the people who live in the Arctic have got a free pass for six months of the year. <laughs> He's saying, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Keep short accounts. Don't let it fester. Don't let it bubble up within, lest the devil get a foothold. There's a new motivation here, friends, is that we see that we are in a spiritual battle, that we have an enemy, the devil, who hates us, who wants to see us kind of allowing anger to fester in our hearts, that he might use us as a tool for division in the church, in our families, in all kinds of ways. Let us be sober-minded and alert. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter, he says, let us be sober-minded and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. We're in a spiritual battle. And so you might think, I just, it's just who I am. I just kind of get, I'm a bit, a bit short-fused. Don't let, don't let anger fester in your heart. Don't let, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Go to the person. Don't let, it, don't let it be left for days. Go to the person. Explain in love why you feel like you do. Explain in the way they've hurt you. And forgive them. Forgive them. Let it go. Trust God with it. Own up to the things that you've done or said wrong. Own up to the ways in which you've fallen short. Deal with it. Don't let it go for days and days because it will make you sick. It will make you ill. And it will open up a foothold for the devil. And he would love to use you and your anger that's bubbling up to be a divisive person. He'd love to exploit that. He would. We put off these things and we deal with it. It's the same in marriage, friends. This, these verses are so relevant to married couples. So, so relevant to not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not get into bed at night and turn over and go to sleep without dealing with whatever you've been arguing about. Don't just don't let it fester. Don't lie there with anger in your heart. Deal with it. Listen, you don't have to win every argument. You don't have to have the final say. You can let it go. There are some things that are just preferences and that are not, not a sin issue. You can say, I'm sorry. Listen, when we, when we take hold of the good news, it frees us to, to say sorry because we're not trying to justify ourselves anymore. We're not trying to, trying to justify us because Jesus has done that. And before him, the one whose opinion really matters, we are justified freely as a gift. And so you can say, hey, I'm sorry. I got some things wrong. I'm sorry. Deal with it. Deal with your anger. If you have arguments, if you argue with your spouse, deal with it. Do not go to bed. Do not go to sleep still angry in your heart. 
lest the devil get a foothold. He'd love to tear apart marriages. I, I think anger is one of the most dangerous of emotions, probably more dangerous than lust. Because when it's undealt with, it can lead to all kinds of damage. It can lead to some of the things that we then see. Bitterness. Undealt with anger can lead to bitterness. It can lead to malice. It can lead to dragging down others when it's not dealt with. So deal with it. You can be humble. You can say, okay, I'm letting it go. Or I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. We can trust God that he will do what is right. So there's a place for righteous and brief anger that is mixed with grief. All other types of anger is sin. And we're to put that off and put on being tender-hearted to one another, to be kind to one another, be full of compassion to one another. How does someone who struggles with anger, maybe that's you here, how does someone who struggles with anger on a regular basis become tender-hearted? How is that even possible? Well, the clue is even in the verses itself. It says here in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. This is a passive command. The other commands here are put on and put off. This is something that's passive. How can you, you, you can't just actively let something be put away from you. Someone else has to do it. This is a passive thing. Let it be put away from you. How? How is that possible? Well, the next verses show us. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then he goes on to say, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how, how did the chronically angry become tender-hearted? It's by soaking, it's by soaking in what Jesus has done for us, in laying down his life for us so that we could be forgiven. That's how your heart gets tenderized as you come again and again to what God has done for you in sending his son for you. It's not, I need to kind of do the woosah thing, or whatever it is from that film. <laughs> It's not, I have to take 10 deep, 10 deep breaths. No, I need to have my heart tenderized. Because a proud heart will always go on being angry, no matter how many woosars you do. You need to have your heart tenderized by the love and mercy of God towards you. So I kind of get a bit fed up and a bit weary when people say, we always preach the gospel at Hope Church. We always preach about what Jesus has done. Yes, because it's not just the entry into the Christian life. It's every step of the way of the Christian life. We come back again and again to what he's done for us, and we have our hearts tenderized in the process. We have our hearts softened and melted. I cannot hold on to anger when I'm wowed at the love of God shown to me by Jesus hanging on the cross in my place. I cannot hold on to it when I realize I was a hell-deserving sinner, and he gave himself freely for my sake on the cross. I cannot hold on to malice and bitterness and anger and rage when I realize he's done that for me freely. Now, as I soak in this, as I rejoice in this, as I'm wowed by this, I can let others go. I can let my anger go. I don't have to hold it over someone. I can trust God that the judge of the earth will do what is right. I can let go. Friends, we need to constantly come back again and again to Jesus on the cross, hanging there for us praying even for those who were torturing him, saying, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. 
We need to come back again and again to that. In our worship, in our lives together, pointing each other to what Jesus has done, having communion together, which we're going to do on Easter Sunday, having it in our homes, remembering Jesus' body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. We need to come back again and again to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how our hearts get tenderized. That's how we can put, let these things be put away from us because we haven't got room for these in our lives. We haven't got room for malice and bitterness and rage because I'm wowed at the cross. I'm wowed at the mercy of God towards me. Don't move on from it. I don't say, yeah, I got that 15, 20 years ago when I became a Christian. I understood that and now I move on to other things. We don't move on. We don't move on, friends, from the love of God poured out for us at the cross. So where do we go from here? We're going to pray. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing of the love of God. We're going to sing of the love of God that is upon which we build our lives now. We build our lives upon the costly love of God poured out for us at the cross. Those who have been baptized, your life is built upon something that has been done for you. This new life in which you're, you're walking, it, you're doing it on a firm foundation of something that has been done for you. You don't earn the love of God. It's been poured out for you. And now you live your life on that solid foundation. But I know, I know, just not through any prophetic insight, but in a room of people this size, there will be some who just know I regularly spill over with anger and I want to deal with it. And we would love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you that the love of God will tenderize your heart, that you'll be overwhelmed, overcome again by his love for you. We'd love to pray with you in that. Maybe some of you just living in falsehood, you're just insecure, you're trying to paint a better picture of yourself to others. We'd love to pray with you if that's you. Help you stand on the justification that has been won for you in Jesus. You don't have to justify yourself anymore. You don't have to twist things. You don't have to try and paint a better picture because it's been done for you by Jesus. There couldn't be a better picture painted of you now. You're standing, you stand in Jesus, in his perfection. So we'd love to pray for you as we sing there's going to be some just coming down the front to be ready to pray with you. We're going to pray down at the front here. If that's you, you just want to pray. Maybe, the, maybe you just know today, I need to give my life to this Jesus. Maybe you've come along for a few weeks. Maybe this is the first time with us. You just know, I need to give my life to him. We would love to stand with you as you do that. Should we stand together? We're going to get ready to sing. Let's just come before God now. Father, we thank you so much that we stand on a firm foundation. That is what you have done for us. It's what you did for us. We can say, you loved us, Lord, and you gave yourself for us. We don't have to look at our circumstances and think, do you love us? No, no, you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And Lord, in response to this, we want to say we're all yours. Lord, we, we kind of put ourselves back on the altar again, say we're a living sacrifice. We want to be, uh, all of us, our body, our mind, our hands, our mouths, our eyes, we want to give ourselves wholly to you in response to your great mercy. 
And we want all these things to be put away from us. Anger and bitterness, rage and malice. We want these things to be put away from us as we once again see that you've, you've done what we couldn't do. You've done all that was necessary for our salvation. You laid your life down for us. Lord, we want to be those that take off our old clothes and put on our new clothes. Walking in a way that is contrasted. Where people look on and think, I don't understand that, but they're different. And there's something so attractive about them. We want that, Lord. And Lord God, we don't want to be people who bubble over with anger. We want to be people of peace. We want to get angry about the things that stir you. Lord, we want to get angry at injustice. And we want to be led with compassion and prayer to take action. We don't want to be angry and bubbling over with frustration. We want to be those that know peace because you've called us to peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You laid down your life for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave it all for us. We now worship you in reply. We offer ourselves to you. Just before we sing, maybe you just know, maybe you just know there's some, maybe even this week you've just known a bubbling over of anger. And you just need to resolve, I'm going to go and deal with it. I'm not even going to let the sun go down tonight. I'm going to go and deal with it. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let go. just feel like there are some here who are angry with someone who's no longer around. Someone who's died. Someone who's moved on and is now uncontactable. We want to stand with you if that's you. You can trust God. You can give this over to him. No longer needs to plague your life. So even as we sing now, there's going to be prayer team coming to the front. There's going to be others just want to be prayed with. Come to the front as we sing. Don't delay. Let's sing to our God together.